We're going to do something a bit different now for the next seven weeks, because um, we've got seven talks, well, not seven weeks, it's five weeks, seven talks over five weeks, because that's how many talks we have until Easter, and that includes Good Friday and our Easter Sunday talk. But we thought it was quite interesting uh, that we have seven talks left, because the number seven appears so many times throughout the Bible, a lot, you might have noticed. Anyone want to guess? Oh, I shouldn't have. How many? Seven times? A few more than seven? 77? No, that would be, that would be incredible, wouldn't it? No, um, but close. Uh, 591 times. Uh, in fact, in Genesis, at the beginning of creation, God looked up at his creation and saw that it was good uh, seven times. He saw that it was good seven times. So at the very beginning, we have this number seven. And then cut to the end of the Bible, when Jesus is on the cross, or close to the end, um, he made seven statements on the cross. He said seven different things. And each of those different things were short, but have incredible depth to them. So over the next seven talks, we're going to be talking about those seven statements. Um, and we'll start with the first. Does anyone know off the top of their head what Jesus said, the first thing he said on the cross? Ellie does, but that's because I told her. He said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And we're going to talk about that um, in depth today. We are going to talk about forgiveness, um, but we also spoke about forgiveness, forgive them their trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. So there is obviously a huge theme of forgiveness through that uh, statement, but there are other things too, and we're going to look at all of them. Um, so I was trying to think, how can I start this off? How can I sort of put this into real-life terms? And I was reminded of um, when Ellie and I were first living together. Um, and our, our relationship was tested almost immediately. I've, I've spoken with her, and she and I have both agreed that I can tell you this story, because it, it's quite tough. But we think it's important for you to know um, we overcame struggles at the beginning of our relationship. It wasn't easy because quite soon after moving in together, Ellie uh, destroyed something very close to my heart. It was something really important to me and she ruined it. Um, I had bought this kebab and <laughs> it, it wasn't just any kebab. <laughs> You're not being very supportive. If you, go to, if you go to Love Shack in town, they sell something called a whale kebab. There is no whale in this kebab. It's called a whale kebab because even a whale would need to eat it over two settings. I don't have one of those pans with me, but you know the, um, the metal disposable oven tins that you buy for Christmas to save on the washing up? It comes in one of those. Um, so I... Um, ate uh, as much as I could, but Ellie, not being well-versed in kebab etiquette, committed a terrible act. After I'd eaten as much as I could that evening, I put it in the kitchen because everyone knows, everyone knows, that kebabs like pizza and Irish stew and lasagna all taste much better the next day after they've had time to just sit. So I woke up the next day fully prepared to have kebab for breakfast. <laughs> Walk into the kitchen, 
and find that there is no kebab. I've gotten over it now, almost. It's taken a long time to forgive her. I had to grieve and process, but forgiving her was important. Obviously, I'm joking. I haven't forgiven her. Um, No, I am joking. But when we think of forgiveness, particularly when we think of forgiveness from a Christian point of view, we always think it needs to be the big stuff. It needs to be something really awful that someone's done to us. And yeah, we do need to forgive that. But we also need to forgive the daily things. We encounter a need to forgive almost daily. For example, filters. I'm not sure if it's only me, but at least once a week, someone drives through a filter in front of me when it was my turn. It makes me upset because I love a rule. And if there are rules in place, we should follow them. But some people don't and just go through filters whenever they're ready. And the problem with that is, I get upset, they don't care, but I carry that with me. What good does that do? doesn't do any good. They've already gone, they're not thinking about it, and keeping that anger, that bitterness, makes my day worse. I have to forgive. It's not easy, but it's important. When Jesus was on the cross... He had a criminal either side of him. Soldiers were mocking him. People were splitting up his belongings and stealing them. He was sacrificing his life so that we could live forever in heaven. And the very first thing he said on that cross was, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Just imagine having that level of grace. Imagine being able to not only forgive people, who are murdering you, but praying to God for their souls to be saved. It's incredible. And we are called to be like God, to be like Jesus. It's an incredible example of Christ's likeness and definitely something for all of us to aspire to. But this is only one takeaway. This forgiveness is only one part that we can take away from that statement Jesus made on the cross. We need to love one another to the extent that Jesus loves us. Fortunately, not many of us here will die by being crucified by Romans. But if we are in that position, we need to strive for forgiveness. In situations much less dangerous than that, we need to keep the same attitude. We need to forgive over holding on to our bitterness. By forgiving uh, these people on the cross, as Jesus did, He set an example. He showed us a model of his endless grace. God shows us mercy, and we should also do that to those around us. Point one, then, of the old-fashioned Christian three-point sermon is we need to learn from Jesus' example, and we need to copy it. We need to forgive. During the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus first started to share his ministry, Uh, He speaks on forgiveness. We've just finished a series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Matthew 6.14 goes over the same point, but in a bit more detail. During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, For if you forgive others their trespasses, their sins, 
your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, neither will your Father forgive your sins. Very often we know what the right thing to do is, and we know what we need to do. We're very polite in church, though. And we'll say to one another, oh, oh, I think it's really important you try and forgive that person for the bad things that they've done. But really what we should be saying is, if you don't forgive that person, I know it's hard, I know it's tough, but if you don't forgive that person, God won't forgive you for the bad things you've done. And let's face it, we've all done bad things. Ellie, I forgive you for throwing my kebab away. We can't just try, we have to do it. Yoda said, do or do not. There is no try. Don't try, just do it. When faced with death, Jesus chose to love. Jesus was all God, but he was also all human. It's confusing, but we're not meant to understand, we're just meant to believe. Imagine how scary that must have been, being on that cross, surrounded by people who hate you, who want you dead, knowing you're going to die. It'd be terrifying. When we're scared of something, when we're in dangerous situations, we often don't think properly. We become confused in our fear and make strange choices. I'm not sure if anyone here has either read or watched um, The Woman in Black. It's a, it's a bad book and a worse film, but it's an incredible play. For those who don't know, it's a book and a, book and a film and a play about a lawyer who has to go and clean up um, this woman's house who's recently died. And whilst he's in the house cleaning up all the stuff, going through all the paperwork, he's haunted by a woman who wears black. And the play is just two men doing all of the roles. They do every single role apart from the woman in black. And the woman in black is played by a different person. They change all the time, but the two actors don't know when they change. The two actors don't know who the woman in black is. In the theatre, it's very clever, they set up trapdoors everywhere, and during different shows, she'll appear at different trapdoors. The actors don't know where she's going to be, because it's scary for them. And if they're scared, if the people who are in charge of making the play work are scared, we're scared. I was really lucky when I was about 20 to go and see it, whilst I was there, just to set the scene and uh, make you realise how much trouble I was in, there was also a school trip in there too. Um, as the play was going on, I just I felt, I was sat on the aisle, and I just felt a presence here. And I turned round and I looked uh, at this woman dressed in black, and I reacted before I processed what was happening. <laughs> And what had happened is this woman had come to work to be sworn out loudly. And I did. I shouted a swear word in her face in front of about 50, 16-year-old kids. But that's not what I wanted to do. I wasn't trying to upset her. I was scared. And without thinking, I made a bad choice. I won't repeat it. Speak to me afterwards, I'll tell you. On the cross, Jesus was scared. But his reaction wasn't to shout a swear word at the people crucifying him, as I'm sure many of us probably would in that situation. Instead, he chose compassion in the face of suffering. 
And this is our second point, choosing compassion in the face of suffering. We need to program or retrain our brains to instantly become compassionate when we're in a situation filled with fear. When I think back to the numerous times I've been cut up on a filter, how incredible would it be if my first thought was, I hope that person's okay. They seem in a rush. I hope they're not unwell, or I hope they're not distracted by a difficult appointment they've got coming up. Or I'd, wouldn't it be great if I could think, how can I help that person? Wouldn't it be great if my first thought, rather than the more explicit reaction that I'm more likely to be guilty of, was a need to help? We need to try and be better. We need to try and be like Jesus. Reacting instantly with love and compassion in scary situations. I should have, for example, checked that Ellie was okay, that the smell of the day-old kebab wasn't making her ill, that I wasn't contributing to the mess in the kitchen and try and help her be more comfortable rather than being upset about the congealing meat I'd left in the kitchen. Imagine for a second knowing that you're going to be captured and you're going to be killed by the Romans and having to live among them at the same time. Imagine that. Imagine if you knew what they were going to do. Jesus is God. God knows everything. Jesus knew how he was going to die. Yet, he continued to show compassion to everyone around him. Culturally, too, the Romans were awful to the Jewish people. To Jesus and to Jesus' family and to his friends, Yet when a centurion, which is a, a high-ranking Roman soldier, approached him for help because his servant was ill, Jesus didn't say, you've hurt me, and you've hurt my family, and you've hurt my friends. You've caused me and all the people I love so much pain in the world, and now you want my help. Why should I help you? He didn't say that, but in that position, we might. Even though it would be tough, and it would be tough. I'm not going to stand here and say, everyone just forgive, like that, done. It's tough, I know that. But even though it's tough, we need to be like Jesus. We need to help those, and we need to be compassionate in our pain. So from this statement so far, we have forgive even when we don't want to, and choose love in times of fear. The third point I want us to think about from this statement is prioritising God. On this hill in Golgotha, on that cross, there was a lot going on. It would have been very overwhelming. Jesus' first reaction to the people around him wasn't to tell them that they were forgiven. He didn't address them and share his forgiveness with them. Instead, he looked to God and asked God to forgive them. He prayed in a time of great distress. And that's where God needs to be in our lives. He needs to be the first place we look where we're, when we are in times of pain and suffering. We need to look to God and ask for help. We need to share our worries with him so he can help us. 
Instead, we're far more likely to look to our friends or look to our family or to our phones or social media, looking for help in places that it won't necessarily be. We need to make sure we've put God in his rightful place in our lives. We need to be like Jesus and lean on God. He wants us to do that. Before Jesus' death, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we read in Matthew 26, Jesus, uh, well, we read this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He's saying there, if it's possible, don't let me die. Tomorrow, please, I don't want to. But it's not what I want, it's what you want, God. You tell me and I'll do it. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Not what I want, God, but what you want. Jesus, at this point, is in pain, emotional pain. He knows what is coming, and he's scared. He doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to be a sacrifice. Remember, he's all God, but he's all human too. Every one of us would feel similar in this scenario, feeling overwhelmed with sorrow. Jesus fell to his knees and prayed. He was keeping God in his rightful place the most important time he was praying. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. This statement is dense with advice from Jesus. We could um, talk about this for another hour. There are implications of this statement that I haven't gone into, mostly the ignorance of humans you know, and what we've done. Um, Jesus forgives us every day, even though we don't deserve it. We are all the recipients of God's grace, and for that, we need to be thankful. We have to forgive those who have hurt us. It's not a case of try. Do or do not. There is no try. It is a case of just doing it. It's not easy, but we have to do it. If you do not forgive others their sins, neither will your Father forgive your sins. In the face of fear, show love. We need to practice showing compassion and love to everyone so that we can retrain our brains to instantly react with love and not bitterness or anger. And finally, we need to remember that God should be the most important thing in our lives. We need to remember to keep him on top, looking to him when we are hurting, when we're scared, when we need help, but also in thanksgiving. God isn't just there for the bad times. We can't ignore him when things are going well and then come crawling back every time the tide changes. If your life doesn't revolve around God, if your relationship with God is coming to a church on Sunday night for an hour and throughout the week you don't pray, you don't think you need to serve, you don't think you need to um, tithe in any way, any of these different ways of helping the church, then where is your relationship really? Are you praying every day? Are you reading your Bible every day? God needs to be 
the main thing in our lives. Not just the main thing in your life on a Sunday. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. Forgiveness is beautiful in theory, but when we open our hearts and let that pain out, it's ugly. We need to get through that pain to accept God's love. So I didn't, I didn't have, I'm going to surprise a few people with this now because I didn't have time to actually go around and ask, but if there are um, anyone in the enabling team sat um, here, if you could just go to around the room somewhere, and the elders I've spoken to um, are going to stand up as well and go um, around the room. And whilst we're, um, and the band, sorry, can you please come back up? And whilst we're um, going into another time of worship, if there's a name you've got on your heart, if there's someone you know you need to forgive, someone you can't bring yourself to, the elders are today an extended part of the enabling team. We call it the enabling team rather than the prayer team because they enable you to pray. They help you to pray. So if you would like help in prayer, please go up. There's nothing wrong with going up. There's a stigma attached to it sometimes. It's um, a good thing. It's a brave thing to do. But if you, want, if you want prayer, do not let nerves stop you. Otherwise, just keep that name on your heart. Pray to God on your own behalf um, so that you too can release that bitterness. If you're able, would you please stand? Lord, thank you that you died for us, that you sacrificed yourself on the cross so that we might live forever with you in heaven. Lord, forgiveness can be tough for us sometimes. We put it off and we ignore those bitter feelings when we should be giving them to you, Lord Jesus. Today, I pray for strength. Strength that we might be strong enough to forgive those who have caused us pain. I pray for wisdom that we might understand that even though it's painful to forgive sometimes, it's better for us in the long run. And I pray for the future, Lord, that we may be able to go into this next week with you at our sides, that we would know your presence and have your love at the forefront of our minds so that we can reflect your goodness into the world. In Jesus' name.